Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this new episode of Founder Series, we sat down with John Salazar, founder and CEO of Gazelle Wind Power. Gazelle has developed a unique and innovative hybrid floating platform with high stability and Ethernet pitch designed and engineered by leading expert naval engineers. The company is on a mission to enable the power of wind for the globe and accelerate the worldwide opportunity for deep water offshore wind energy. I was excited to have John on the show and learn the ins and outs of the fast-growing offshore wind energy industry and how Gazelle has the potential to play a key role in tackling the cost and engineering challenges of deep water floating wind turbines to unleash the industry's full potential. During this episode, you will learn about the industry and its potential for growth, what needs to happen to accelerate development of the sector. Then we will cover with John the initial challenges in developing the solution Gazelle engineered from lab scale to pilot project. Finally, we will dive into their business model, their path to scale their solutions, and how you can get involved into the project. In the second part of the show, John will share his secret source to successfully raise millions from large institutional investors to finance his hardware startups. 
He will also share some of his best reads and how he keeps up high energy despite his intense workload. John, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about your exciting adventure with Gazelle Wind Power. Your guys are in a mission, on a mission to enable the power of wind for the world. So welcome to the show. Likewise, thanks a lot, Guillaume. Great pleasure to seeing you today. I'm very excited to have this session together. Thank you so much, John. So before we start, that's uh, the way we, we like to frame it. If you can uh, give us a 30 second uh, introduction about uh, Gazelle, Gazelle Wind Power. Gazelle is one of the fastest moving technology providers for the floating offshore wind industry. Uh, this, I believe, is going to be one of the largest um, energy um, industries in the next few decades. Companies like DMV are targeting uh, 2,000 gigawatt of offshore wind by 2050 and just floating 300 gigawatt. And this is increasing. So this has the chance to become one of the next multi-million or multi-trillion uh, euro markets. And we are providing a key piece of technology, which is the floating foundation. We own all the IP for a disruptive um, solution for the floating foundation, uh, basically enabling to place wind turbines that for the latest models can be as tall as the Eiffel Tower, can be uh, over 280 meters in height. And we are able to put these solutions stable and floating um, on very, very rough deep sea waters. So at Gazelle, uh, we are introducing that technology into the market and uh, we are working with uh, large energy developers, mayors uh, from the oil and gas industry in order to unlock the, the, the potential of the floating offshore industry. So before we, uh, we uncover all of that, let's start from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides uh, building uh, and bringing to the world uh, Gazelle? Uh, what makes you feel inspired or like your, your best self? Like, as I always ask, like, who is John? Excellent. So John uh, is, is, is an entrepreneur. Uh, in another life, uh, used to be an engineer, and this is very connected to the to the story of, of Gazelle. The reasons that uh, are moving me now are very different than the reasons that made me start all, all this. Uh, I exited my previous group of companies. It was a group of internet um, business. It was a lifestyle cash-flow-generating uh, class, business. These are still operational, by the way. It's one of the largest Spanish-speaking communities uh, for uh, in financial education. So we had uh, a group of uh, private investors. Uh, we used to uh, work with uh, a variety of, 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 um, of people all across the world. We have clients in over 32 countries, um, helping them to take control of their own finances. We used to work with SMEs. We had a financial coaching school. So that's what I used to do before. Um, that was fun until stopped to be that fun. Uh, it was a business that uh, it was a lifestyle cash flow business. Uh, and allowed me to have some free time. And, and that's why I, was, I decided to move into Gazelle. Uh, I'm not the inventor of Gazelle technology. I met the inventor when I was seven years old. He inspired me to become an engineer. The inventor is, uh, is a genius. He was a champion of mathematical Olympics, gold medalist. Uh, he has created naval structures now for the, for the king of, uh, his, his highness, king of Spain. Uh, he led the aerodynamic part of the uh, America's Cup sailing competitions. Uh, this person is, is my uncle, so I met him when I was seven years old. And as I said before, I, he inspired me to become an engineer. But I was, uh, I was a very weird engineer. I mean, I was not that interested into the technical. I was always more focused into, into the 
into the management side or leading teams. I was also doing uh, small small businesses. For example, on a on a rainy day, um, I recall there was a, a concert uh, in Spain, and I could go and buy a, a bunch of umbrellas and go to that concert and sell that umbrella so I could go outside. So doing small small businesses, learning about how finance uh, the finance world uh, worked. Um, I started my career in in a, in a big firm, a big corporate, uh, in a big four firm, and uh, in, into the finance world. But um, I, I I suddenly realized that I wanted more adventure. I wanted more more uncertainty into my life. So I decided to jump 100% to entrepreneurship. Um, when I said before we are one of the fastest moving companies in this space, is because while our technology has been developed for over 12 years, is the result of over 12 years of R&D efforts. The company was founded less than two years ago, and in less than two, in less than two years, we've been able to move from a vision idea to now a growing portfolio of IP. We're going to um, we're going to kick off 2023 with over 12 families of patents registered in 158 countries. So we are very strong from an IP point of view. Again, focus on the floating foundation, the mooring and the anchoring systems. Basically, the technology that allows us to to place wind turbines uh, farther offshore in a very competitive way. Um, as well as creating a group of companies. We are headquartered in Ireland. We have subsidiaries now in, in the UK and in Portugal, which are key markets for us. We can discuss about key markets. And we've recently completed the acquisition of, um, of a, a naval engineering firm as well uh, in Spain. So we're moving quite rapidly. And on my end, when you are doing this, you need to be obsessed. That's the, that's the reality, Guillaume. So uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll be discussing about this during our call. But at this point of my life, what I do is I I eat, I sleep, and I do gazelle, and I love it. Uh, it's it's more than a purpose than than something else. So this is I'm, I'm very focused into into this now, as you will see. As you can see. So can you give me like maybe one example of uh, during this like pre gazelle experience when you are like uh, you know selling uh, the umbrellas that are in front of a concert so like uh, uh, digging your head around like different like business ideas and then you you launch your uh, internet companies and uh, I mean during this whole like life experience like do you have maybe one uh, experience per se that you recall that uh, in a way gave you an edge to, uh, uh, to, to, to be the, the, the perfect CEO for, for Gazelle and really like uh, uh, launch, uh, launch a company two years ago uh, based on this, uh, those last uh, 12 years of, uh, of experience and, and, and R&D that has been built around it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, first, I, I'm, I'm sure there is, there, is, there is never a perfect CEO, but it's very important that we get, we get progress. No, and uh, at this stage, it's, it's normally you need an entrepreneur uh, with a lot of intensity in order to drive the early stages of, of a company because you need to be switched on 24-7 almost every single day. At least that's my way of approaching uh, entrepreneurship. Um, we've recently been awarded as well by, by several, for example, uh, by the S&P 500, um, S&P Global, as, uh, as um, top CEO of this year, Trailblazer. Uh, so that I, I believe that says a lot of the intensity that, that you need to put. But in terms of key learnings, uh, I would say to use to, to say to say it metaphorically, uh, life and business to me, uh, you, you need to kiss a lot of frogs. You need to turn a lot of rocks. So you kiss 100 frogs and you end up finding your your princess or your prince. So you need to you need to learn uh, to deal with rejection. You need to understand this is a numbers game. No matter if you are seeking to raise capital, if you are seeking to get um, commercial traction or, or industrial traction, 
you need you need to kiss those 100 frogs and from my from my early days of entrepreneurship while i was still i was still uh studying that engineering uh, masters uh, I, I was doing all that on the side those were tough times uh, while i was studying and or, or i was working as well and the moment i had free time i was i was doing different different ventures some of them went not that well others went quite well uh, but i would say to summarize keep it short and sweet uh, Life is a numbers game and it's, it's about kissing 100 frogs so you find your princess or fire prince. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I love the analogy. It's, uh, it's, it's a good one and I definitely will, uh, will keep it uh, for, for, for myself as well. So in, in all of this, like, um, I mean, and you mentioned before was not really like focus on, on, on climate and, and climate like of, uh, I mean, what you are like uh, doing as, a, as an entrepreneur in itself. So what has been your, your driver in a way uh, that... Yeah that pushed you to, uh, to, to jump into this uh, climate tech ecosystem. Do, do you have any aha moment, uh, as I like to, uh, to say, maybe that uh, you can recall or you would define as such? No, sure, sure. As I said before, well, I started this because I wanted to, to help a person I admire a lot, um, which has, has been devoted his life to, to, to develop this technology. Yeah, we see this as a effectively as a key enabler um, for the energy transition, as uh, we want to tap into the power of floating offshore wind, bear in mind that over 80% of the wind resource globally uh, is beyond what is called deep sea water. That means that we need to go um, beyond 60 meters in depth from the surface level of the sea to the seabed. Um, normally, I mean, for that, you require a floating platform. Uh, you cannot go farther. We can place solutions that can be five kilometers from, from shore or 10 or 20 or 100 or 200 kilometers from shore. But basically it's, it's, um, it's a key technology in order to tap into uh, a massive a massive potential. So I started because I wanted to help uh, this person. I very quickly realized that uh, I had to create a corporation around that. I exited my previous group of companies. I believe a lot in, in being focused in only doing one thing at the same time. So very, very quickly I, I became the, the first investor of Gazelle. And uh, quite rapidly, we were able to fundraise as well. In less than in less than three months, we were able to bring the first the first uh, investors, quite um, sophisticated um, institutional cap institutional capitalists. Uh, in this case, from from the UK, we can elaborate on that further further on. But basically, um, what leads me or what drives me now is quite different. I've just arrived uh, from Egypt. I was at COP27. This is our our second COP, and uh, we need we need to have a sense of urgency. Uh, so, of course, this is now much bigger than myself or much bigger than our teams or our families. Uh, what drives me is uh, I feel I have a responsibility to the world in order to introduce this technology. It's about accelerating the energy transition. Of course, it's about uh, all the families, all, not, not just all the, all the colleagues that are working with us, but it's about their families too. It's about the, it's about the, the, the huge impact this can have. So all these things are, are very, very relevant um, for a project as, as, as such. This is, uh, I mean, this is, is, is quite challenging to introduce this, this type of technologies rapidly. The timing is very important. And if you don't have this type of drivers behind, um, I mean, you need this in order to go through all the speed bumps that you are going to have. So this is something that I would say it's about providing clean, affordable energy. It's about providing electricity at some point. Uh, to uh, to schools, to universities, to hospitals, to SMEs, to households. Uh, it's it's a great responsibility in that sense. That's how I feel. That's how it feels. 
Thank you so much. So, so now, now that we know a bit more about uh, about you, John, uh, and before we start going into detail about uh, about Gazelle, uh, we'd like to, to zoom out uh, and kind of understand the, the overall context that you are evolving in. I mean, let, let, let's try to get your overview of the, the so-called wind energy uh, industry today and maybe more specifically on the offshore part of it or category. Uh, I'd like to get your, your insights uh, to start with um, some data points maybe regarding uh, the industry today. I mean, how many gigawatts are already uh, deployed and and if you can maybe translate for the non-technical uh, people listening to the show in terms of like maybe households uh, that it represents um, globally. Uh, and maybe what is the, the, the trends? Like, do, do we have like, uh, you know, growth and, and projection for this, uh, this industry? Sure. So um, let, me, let me give you that 10,000 interview on some insights because out of this data can be very easily searched on Google. But um, let me share with you a few, a few days ago when I was in Sarmel Sheikh in at COP27, there was an innovation pavilion. And that innovation pavilion had a counter, like a, like a meter. And you could see the percentage of global energy production that is, as of today, being generated by renewable energy. And this is 12%. So if you look at uh, entities like IRENA, which, uh, again, I, I, I suggest you, you can look at all that data. It's very comprehensive data, what they are doing and the targets they are setting. Uh, by 2030, they, they want the world to generate 65% uh, of, of its global energy consumption being provided by renewables. So there is a big gap to move from 20, to, from 12% to 65%. Out of that, that 12%, 6% is, is, is mostly 6% wind, 6% solar. And then we see that there are, there are different energy systems that are, are coming up or that will be, um, will be enabled. But it's very important that we increase, as of today, very important that we increase renewable energy uh, production. Now, if we look at wind power, uh, we can almost, I would say, all, all, all our listeners are familiarized with onshore wind. I recall when I used to live uh, in Spain, I recall 10, 15 years ago, when I was traveling with my family from Madrid to the Basque country, uh, we could see these very large nacelles being transported. No, you, this, this used to be transported by road. So in the last, in the last 20 years, we've seen how, um, how um, it's, it's now, as of today, it's cheaper to build an onshore wind farm than doing a combined cycle power plant no, in, in some places. We can learn a lot from onshore wind in Europe. Onshore wind in Europe is a successful story, but I would say it's also a painful one because it took us it took us too long to get to the point where we are today. Um, those were the first the first uh, let's say the first um, moments in, in in this industry. Now what happens is um, the best sites uh, for onshore wind are being taken and this is happening in, in, in markets that are more more developed in this particular industry for example in europe in some other places you simply don't have the space in order to do onshore wind uh, i was before before egypt i was in japan that's a very that's a very good example uh, that um, offshore wind is definitely is definitely one of the solutions um, to the problems they have in terms of energy security energy transition so after after onshore wind we, we started to see uh, the first offshore wind developments. And we could see the first ones, uh, 2005, for example, happening in Ireland. And we are seeing how the offshore wind industry, fixed bottom, um, has been has been growing significantly. And we can see projects now, such as Dogger Bank, that um, you can see you, you can see projects at 12 cents per kilowatt hour, for example. So this is this is going down very rapidly for fixed bottom. Now, fixed bottom, in my eyes, will have the same problem as offshore wind, which means that 
the best sites will be taken as well. When I speak about fixed bottom means um, putting wind turbines offshore, um, quite close to quite, quite close to shore actually. So you need you need shallow waters. So in those places where you don't have shallow waters, uh, you need or, or the seabed drops abruptly, you need to go further offshore. You need to go you need to go floating, and that's what we see as the next frontier. As I was alluding before, over eighty percent of the wind resource, the, the, say the wind resource you can tap into globally. These are beyond 60 meters in depth, and that's called deep sea water. And for that, for that, you need the floating foundation. So we see, we see that the industry is starting to to move um, towards uh, offshore further. Uh, that's in markets like like Europe, the UK, um, some places in Southeast Asia or in, or in Asia, such as South Korea, um, Japan. We see the first auctions for offshore wind. Uh, so in, in, in these places uh, where the supply chain of onshore wind has already been developed, we see how this is growing. 2,000 gigawatt being uh, forecasted by DMV of offshore wind by 2050. That's a very, very large market. Um, just floating offshore wind, the latest, the latest forecast, uh, about it, it was published uh, around a month ago. It increased uh, the, the total uh, forecast to 300 gigawatt. And this is, this is increasing. We look at, uh, at the UK. We have a very good example with Scotwin, with the Scotwin lease. Um, for us, in, in February 2022, um, that's, that's to me the kickoff of this industry, of the floating offshore wind industry. Initially, there were going to be um, around 15 gigawatt of offshore wind projected, 14 gigawatt of fixed, 1 gigawatt of floating, and we ended up seeing uh, how uh, most of this was floating. It increased up to 25 gigawatt almost 15 gigawatt of floating, 10 gigawatt of, of fix. Uh, you can you can verify that, check the numbers, but this is the key message. Now we see how this industry is really taking off. Massive opportunity for many, many actors, for re renewable energy companies, for majors from oil and gas that they are, they are seeking to get into this new industry. EPCAs, the engineering procurement construction installation companies, technology developers such as ourselves as well, providing a key technology, um, and many, many uh, companies across this supply chain. It's almost as if we go 100 years ago, Guillaume, and you see, this is how I feel. This is how I feel with this industry, and that's, that's what makes me so excited. But if you go 100 years ago uh, with the first, let's say, you look at, at, at Rockefeller with the oil, or let's say the kerosene industry. You look at Vanderbilt with the shipping industry. You look at, uh, and, they, and then with the railways. You look at Andrew Carnegie with the steel industry. Oh, massive industries were being created. And to me, that's the very same feeling uh, that we are all together with our colleagues in the supply chain or with our colleagues in the industry. All together, we are starting to build something that is going to be very, very large, very massive. And again, it's, it's, it's about enabling clean, affordable energy. It's about keeping on track with the 1.5 degree global warming scenario. Uh, it's about providing uh, massive employment opportunities in the next decade. We, we, we forecast that there's going to be over a million jobs that are going to be needed for this new industry. Uh, the, the opportunity is massive. It's, as, as, it's equal to the magnitude of the challenge, we can say. So if you can uh, tell us a bit more about like uh, today, I mean, where are those, uh, those uh, offshore parks? Uh, and you mentioned like the clear difference between floating and uh, bottom uh, attached, uh, you know, uh, installation. Where are they located uh, towards the, I mean, around the world? And, and who, who in a way are the, the, the leaders in, uh, in that uh, development uh, today? Um, if you could tell us a bit more about like this, like, uh, you know, uh, who, who are the, the, I mean, where are we at uh, in that sense? Sure. So first, um, 
we need to differentiate between between fixed bottom offshore using technologies yeah. such as jackets, monopiles, um, and the new technologies being introduced now for floating offshore wind. Because if, if we look at, at fixed bottom offshore wind, that's an industry that has already commercial projects uh, that has, uh, let's say, it, it's been the risk. Uh, so that's an industry where, where we see already, um, let's, say the, the, let's say the institutional the institutional funding already coming in, pension funds, that's, that's already there. Um, uh, we, we, we speak about floating offshore wind. This is, this is a new industry which in my eyes, from an investor perspective, is going to have one of the largest, um, one of the largest growths in the next decade. I would highlight floating offshore wind and energy storage. I will not digress into that, long duration energy storage. After that, we can speak about green hydrogen once we have increased our, our uh, output of renewable energy. But um, if I focus on, on floating offshore wind, the industry is, is now uh, at a point where uh, we've already seen pre-commercial projects, we can see uh, for example, of the coast of uh, Scotland in Kincardine, we can see a first 50 megawatt uh, pre-commercial project of the coast of Portugal in Viana do Castelo. We can see as well a 30 megawatt project. We can see pilots in places like Norway, for example, in Stavanger, we can see several pilots. So we're at a point where um, new, new policies are being uh, defined, roadmaps are being uh, given. We are seeing how the best sites are, are let's say the sites where this is, this is Visible in the first stage um, where the, the wind is sustainable. Um, these sites are being identified. We are seeing uh, efforts from different countries on accelerating planning and permitting. That gives certainty and that leads to uh, supply chain making investments too. So we see uh, from port infrastructures to um, OMs, you know, large wind turbine manufacturers, to energy developers, to majors from oil and gas. They're already investing into this industry. And then, of course, the technology part is very key. Technology goes hand in hand with the supply chain. And uh, we are seeing how um, companies like, like ourselves, we are, we are introducing the next generation of technologies, not just to pilot, uh, but actually to do this on a serial uh, production way. That's, that's very important. We need to think about scale. We need to think about mass production. We need to think about momentum. It's very important that the industry gets that momentum uh, so as we saw with onshore wind, it gets to a point where it's cheaper to do this type of projects than using uh, other other uh, fossil fuel uh, sources. Um, we are also seeing how, um, from let's let's say from a supply chain point of view, we can elaborate further on this because we are seeing very interesting trends uh, with an increased um, requirement for local content. We are seeing how. Um, I will not digress too much into this. We can follow up after, but we are seeing how, um, let's say, a different trend from what we've seen in the last 20 years. So in instead of globalization, we are seeing a regionalization. So uh, it's a global massive uh, opportunity. It's a global market. And at the same time, uh, it's coming to a point where it's very important to build local supply chains. So what are the, the, the challenges that you would define uh, between uh, you know like those uh, uh, fixed bottom uh, you know solution uh, offshore and uh, the floating uh, the floating one I mean in terms of like uh, the cost I, I believe uh, because being uh, further from the, the coast uh, you probably need uh, you know longer cable to uh, bring the, the electricity back to uh, to land uh, I believe also like there's probably other challenges that uh, that you you can face 
success. Uh, so if you can tell us a bit more like what's the comparison, the advantage and, and, and challenges uh, in between the two uh, existing uh, solution or are they very similar? So, so the, my message here is that the, the world and the energy transition needs everything. That's very, very important to understand. No? We need we need everything and with urgency. We need we need onshore wind, we need solar, we need floating offshore wind, we need fixed bottom, we need long duration energy storage, we need at some point to produce, to produce green hydrogen. We, we need absolutely everything. This is a big, big uh, puzzle. And then depending on where uh, you are going to deploy these projects, all these things change completely. Because if you have if you have shallow waters, it may be more more beneficial for you, and it may makes it, it may make more sense from an LCOE, from a levelized cost of electricity point of view, to do fixed bottom. And you don't need to get into floating. Now, in some places, you need to tap into the power of floating offshore wind. So um, LCOE, uh, if we look at this from a cost perspective. Uh, this is this is highly dependent on the location where you are doing these projects. It's highly dependent on the on the supply chains. Oh, there are many many factors. Um, from a sustainability point of view, uh, for, for for me, it's a key, clear advantage on going further offshore uh, to floating. And of course, uh, we are at a stage where relevant data is being gathered. Uh, but if you look, for example, simply to, to to put a very practical example, Guillaume, if you look at the installation, when you do fixed bottom, uh, you need to perform the seabed. You need you need to to perform the seabed for for monopiles. In some places, for example, if you look at places like like Taiwan, when you have um, when, when you have seismic movements or you have earthquakes, the seabed becomes liquid. So these these wind turbines, if they are not um, if they are not piled enough um, beyond the seabed. It, they will tilt. No? So it's about it's about the cost that those uh, solutions are required to uh, the installation, maintenance in these type of cases, uh, and it's also about the scale. It's about efficiency because when you go farther offshore, uh, for the latest uh, wind turbine, uh, the the, the ONMs are working on 50 megawatt, 60 megawatt, 14 megawatt wind turbine generators. So that allows us to uh, actually be be more efficient. So it's a it's a factor of efficiency too. It's a factor of, of sustainability uh, for us. One of the key uh, innovations we are introducing is that we are reducing 80% the footprint uh, with our technology because we are not using um, standard uh, catenary mooring lines. We are not using that. Imagine a catenary you know, with this with this form, a catenary-based mooring system. Those are chains that can be very thick, and with all the currents, they can erode the seabed. On our on our end, we are using. Vertical moorings almost as a TLP, although this is not a TLP. This is, uh, we believe, or, or the feedback we've received, this is the first dynamic mobile mooring system for floating offshore wind being developed. Is disruptive technology, it's an innovation. So we don't need to use catenaries. We have vertical mooring systems, but without the mooring loads of a TLP, it's an innovation. And that allows us to create fishing corridors as well. Uh, this is a very important point of view too, all the spatial marine, marine planning. How we're going to work with all the different stakeholders uh, at seas because the seas are very crowded. But I would say that we we believe that floating offshore wind uh, will be competitive from a cost perspective with fixed bottom towards the end of this decade. Uh, it's very important to understand now um, the see the golden era or the, the golden era of floating offshore wind will be in the 2030s. We'll start to see the first uh, large commercial projects towards the end of this decade. Things could accelerate as we saw with onshore wind. But at the moment, um, I'm, I'm seeing 28, 29, 20, 30, 31, 32 for the first large, um, the first commercial floating offshore wind fund. Um, what is large? Well, if we look, for example, 
in terms of uh, scale and impact no let's let's talk about impact no uh, for example one one gigawatt um, can can power 300 thousand households european households so if we we were speaking before about 2000 gigawatt two terawatt or we were speaking about 3 gigawatt no uh, one one gigawatt uh, could could uh, 100 gigawatt could power uh, 32 million households and this is clean and affordable energy so and thanks for for presenting this whole uh, all context and giving all of those uh, very interesting uh, insights and, and data points so uh, according to you i mean what needs to happen to accelerate the deployment of uh, of the, the offshore uh, wind turbine uh, in energy production uh, i mean both ways uh, fixed bottom or uh, or floating one i mean do you see any uh, regulation in place that are blocking it or that are missing to accelerate that uh, that movement is it like a, a new um, you know capital that needs to be deployed or new technology i mean what is missing to really accelerate this whole uh, deployment according to you so i would highlight three three elements and these three elements uh, need to happen and they're happening they're happening actually and i i indirectly alluded to this before uh, on your on your previous question uh, number one we, we need policy we need certainty uh, number two supply chains infrastructure number three technology so number one uh, if we speak about uh, policies uh, we are seeing some uh, governments taking the lead into this uh, introducing first policies such as uh, feeding tariff some some uh, other countries moving from feeding tariff to feeding premium but we are, we are definitely seeing an effort from policy makers to accelerate this this um, this new industry um, it's very relevant this is a this is a new industry and it's very relevant that there is some stimulus initially so the right policy the right stimulus the right mechanism so developers don't don't get in completely at lost on these projects or they are not largely largely exposed to margin risk that's that's very relevant for the industry to to get that momentum um, another key word is, is that is momentum we, we need this first 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 these pilots that are already happening the first pre-commercial projects that are already happening the first commercial projects that, that needs to keep moving forward that needs to happen uh, another very relevant point is, is faster permitting and planning uh, the average offshore wind uh, project in, in Germany, for example, uh, it takes seven years to complete to complete that process. So that's too long. We don't have we don't have that much time. So it's very important that that we have faster permitting and planning, and also that we that we engage with the local communities. That's very very relevant too. As I said before, the the seas are are quite crowded. There are many actors there. There are fisheries in in some countries such as Japan. There are over over 130,000 fisheries. So it's very important that. We work together from the very, very early days. Uh, in other countries, you, you see, you see um, the, the army, so, so the defense forces. Uh, this can impact tourism. It can impact other projects. So it's very important that that we we do that faster permitting and planning with early engagement and sustainable engagement of those communities. And we have our choice uh, with uh, with increase of um, acidity levels going on and and this in, this increase. Or these changes uh, due to global warming, uh, we need to work together. We need this type of solutions. So that's number one. And having said that, we, we need certainty as well. We, we need we need a clear roadmap. We need that certainty. So number two can happen. Number two, we, we need supply chains that, that can actually step up uh, to the magnitude of this new industry. Uh, we need infrastructure 
uh, is one thing is to do a pilot. A very different thing is to do this uh, for mass production. Very different thing is to do uh, a, a floating platform uh, per week or per two weeks. Do the assembly quite rapidly. Uh, do all the installation. Uh, where are the where are the ports where this is going to happen? What's the draft of these ports? What are the, the service vessels that are going to serve this demand? Uh, again, uh, it's a challenge. At the same time, it's, it's such a it's, it's such a big opportunity. And last but not least, is the technology. Uh, there are there are uh, technologies that can float and survive already for this industry. Now uh, we need in, innovation. Will play a huge role in addressing the carbonization goals. That's the best way to put it. Uh, we need innovation. That's very key. And again, for that we need we need engagement between between or among all the stakeholders. So technologies that go hand in hand with uh, supply chain and infrastructure capabilities. So we can, uh, with faster permitting and planning and with the right policies, we can we can get to scale. We can get that momentum. That that's that's key. We need to get to scale quite rapidly. So to close this uh, this section about the macro environment, uh, can you tell us a bit more about um, uh, a little bit about like the, the stage of, of recycling of uh, all of those uh, wind turbine and uh, and component and like you know what's the impact of uh, those uh, you know turbine into the into the general overall environment? I mean we know that is uh, producing. Uh, uh, 100% green energy, but what's the uh, the ratio by all the energy and component that need to be put in place to produce uh, that energy? And then what's happened after? Like, what's uh, the, the the recycling or upcycling uh, part of it? Are we already developed on that sense, or is it too early for that? And there's still a, a lot of opportunities to, uh, in a way, make it better than just uh, uh, trashing uh, the 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 remaining parts uh, to the to the the dumpsters. Uh, tell us a bit more about like this. Uh, all more impact uh, approach of the of the uh, industry today. Yeah. So here are two. For me, there are two key ideas. I'm going to share with you two key ideas. The, the first one is with with COVID, uh, with the, the invasion of Ukraine, with some of the, the the geopolitical tensions that we are also seeing in in Southeast Asia, China, Taiwan. Um, we we see that. Supply chains are being are being disrupted. Supply chains are, are now very very different than than what it used to be before. So now the the robustness of a supply chain now has become a matter of energy security because all the different routes are are, are completely changing. So as as I was alluding briefly before, uh, what we are seeing is this is a trend that was happening before and now has been accelerated. Now, what I'm seeing is an an export of white collar jobs. For example, I've been I've been working with um, uh, a key certification authority that has certified the, the technical feasibility of our technology, of, of, of the principle that is patented and is different technology. And almost for the last two years, I thought this person was in, in London. I thought the, the entity is based in London. I thought they were in the UK. And not too, not too long ago, I found out this person uh, was in Brazil. He's been working in Brazil for the last two years. So uh, white collar jobs, this type of jobs, uh, it could be lawyers, it could be our accountants, it could be uh, these, these technical professionals. Uh, that's being exported. Doesn't, doesn't matter at all where you are. While blue-collar jobs are being imported. And we can see some, some policies happening. We can see, for instance, in, in the US IRI, uh, we can see uh, some countries increasing local content uh, rules. Uh, UK, for instance, up to 60%. So we see that, that almost regionalization of of uh, global workforce and of of uh, supply chains and that 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 has a gap as well that has a big gap because uh, there are skills that are to be filled 
And that's a, as well a big opportunity for many countries to fill in uh, these gaps. But that would be my, let's say, my, my, my first comment is that one. Supply chains are, are changing. There is a trend to build local supply chains, to do local manufacturing. And very connected to this are the materials. And I will get to, 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 I mean, to, to, the, to the answer of recycling. But if we speak about energy transition, uh, to me, there are two key materials. It's true that um, you, you can see many discussions about uh, lithium or some rare materials. And normally, this is quite related to EVs and, and that, that other part. But if we, if we really think about what are the key materials for the energy transition to happen, to me, these are two. To me, this is, this is about steel and this is about concrete. And all this is moving, out, uh, is, is moving towards green. It's moving towards um, green steel and, and sustainable solutions. Now, um, the, 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 the materials uh, where these are being sourced, the routes, the routes are, are changing because of the reasons I mentioned before. It's a matter of energy security as well. It's a matter of, it's a matter of energy security and energy transition. Um, if, we, if we speak about building these wind turbines, if we speak about building these solutions, these floating foundations, this is about steel, this is about, uh, about concrete. And these are quite recyclable um, solutions. For the wind turbines, uh, as a matter of these um, uh, supply chain constraints and these changes in, in, the, same, in, the, in the global geopolitics about how these uh, supply chains work, uh, we are seeing some OMs that are working very hard on recycling their blades as well. So there are there are many efforts being put on on making all these um, solutions more green and towards recycling. And the reasons I alluded to before about that regionalization instead of um, keep that globalization that's playing a big a big part too. And of course, it affects the cost. It affects the cost. It affects the the margin risk too. So thanks for sharing all of that. Now let's go deeper into the into Gazelle. Uh, I mean, you already unveiled uh, quite a bit uh, during the, the the first part of the interview. But uh, if you can like quickly remind us, like uh, you know the, the the story behind it, uh, you know the the gap uh, that uh, your uncle identified uh, initially that led to the the current version of of Gazelle, and uh, in a way, why uh, did Gazelle uh, have to exist? So again, this is a massive market opportunity. And when you look at most of the solutions out there, these are combinations of three types that you can, you can easily Google. Uh, TLPs, tensile-like platforms, semi-submersibles, and SPAR, SPAR designs. 95% um, of these, or even more, they, they come from the offshore oil and gas industry. We believe there is an inherent problem in size of the, for these solutions. These solutions, uh, in order to keep the wind turbine um, stable and floating they require a massive amount of steel or a massive amount of concrete what we are introducing is this is disruptive technology uh, this doesn't follow the same principles uh, as these other competitors and that's why we can aim to have a so, so, so such a lightweight platform we aim to reduce capex in excess of 30 percent having a great impact on lcoe we expect to reduce lcoe by 10 percent in comparison to the standard out there. Uh, we are using a third of the steel of some of the mainstream technologies out there. And we can do this because we are, as, as, as far as we are concerned, we are the first ones in separating the floatability and the stability. So the floatability is provided by the hull. The hull uh, is a very modular structure. We have early engaged with fabricators. That's very important for this industry. You need to you need to develop solutions that are quite modular, very easy to assembly, very easy to manufacture. Ease of assembly to me is that's 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 marketability. 
Um, we followed that seed building approach for the hull of the structure, which is made of steel. And then the mooring system, which is where most of our IP uh, uh, we put in our efforts on, uh, that's what provides the stability. And the, the IP, uh, basically, it, it, it's, it's like a Swiss arm uh, knife, uh, depending on where we are doing these projects, depending on the wind, the current, the waves, the tide, depending on the seabed, depending on, on those mid-ocean conditions, uh, we can use different set of, of moorings. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, as I said before, the mooring system, which uh, uses a set of, uh, we could use a set of um, wire ropes uh, connected to a counterweight, and we have different mechanisms to do that. That's what provides the stability. So it's a simple, uh, passive uh, mooring system that allows us to use a third of the steel of some of the mainstream technologies. These are some of the key highlights, and from a sustainability point of view, as I said before, we aim to reduce 80% the mooring footprint as a consequence of this mooring system. And this is a floating solution. We don't need to be, uh, we don't require heavy perforation on seabed uh, because it's a floating solution. Uh, we can use uh, different type of anchors, anchoring system, depending on the seabed. That's why we have uh, impact funds uh, such as Catapult Ocean, uh, Norwegian VC, or now uh, we're working with uh, other uh, blue funds such as Indico Capital in Portugal, uh, as they see that this has a huge, of course, a huge potential um, economically um, from that capex saving perspective while keeping OPEX competitive, but at the same time, very favorable with marine ecosystems. And of course, we, are a, we want to provide clean affordable energy. That's at the core, that's at the heart of what we're doing. So you guys are like at the pilot uh, stage uh, right now, like uh, getting out of the out of the the, the test and the, the development uh, there. Is that correct? We already have proof of concept. Uh, we've done Bassington testing um, that was done for uh, one of the main energy developers. That was uh, 165 mock-up of a 10 megawatt DTU wind turbine. Uh, the main conclusions of that is the principle behind the technology is very robust. And again, all that belongs 100% to, um, to Gazelle Wind Power Limited. Um, uh, that has been verified by third parties such as DMB. So the principle behind is very robust and can be scaled up. And now uh, we're working on, uh, on our next big milestone, which is, which is to do a large scale demonstrator. Um, we have several locations to do this. On the other hand, we are at the same time uh, working with some of the key uh, ONMs and developers on doing a commercial uh, wind turbine, and that's that's for a 15 megawatt uh, commercial commercial wind turbine. So we have several projects already uh, where we are hands-on. Uh, we are now at a tipping point where, uh, again, we are we're very strong from an R&D innovation point of view, and on this tipping point, we are putting a lot of emphasis now, and you will see this in the next in the next few months and the next year on project delivery. Project delivery, that's something very relevant for us now. So can you tell us a bit more about like the, the, the production uh, phase or so when, um, you know, outside of like this, uh, this pilot, like how do you, uh, what, what's your vision behind like producing uh, at scale and uh, in mass those, uh, uh, those feeds uh, or floating mechanism uh, for those uh, wind turbines? I mean, uh, are you guys planning on like uh, building your own factories, uh, working collaboration with uh, existing producers and maybe how do you onboard those uh, uh, existing producer because I, I, I guess sure. uh, there's few of them, but not like, uh, you know, it's not like just, uh, uh, you know, deciding to bake something new or like uh, build something new. You need uh, large infrastructure like that. So tell us a bit more about uh, about that. Sure. So it's very important to, to say first, um, this is a, this is a, an industry, it's an industry. All, all, all 
all of these uh, players I have alluded to, all, all our colleagues uh, at supply chain, we are working on building this new industry. This new industry may not have the same uh, supply chain setups that we saw on, on fixed bottom and, of course, on, on Shogun. So, as of today, what we are seeing is the, the energy developer uh, developing companies. Uh, these these companies are um, technology agnostic, most of them. That means that for a specific site or a specific location, uh, based on the conditions I alluded before, metals and conditions based on supply chain factors, they are benchmarking the best set of technologies. Um, they are benchmarking the, the, the best possible wind turbine and also the supply chain. So the benchmark based on these three factors, uh, float, uh, the, the, let's say the, the floating foundation, which is what we are focused on, mm -hmm. the wind turbine, on our end, we are working with um, O&Ms on coupling with the latest wind turbine designs, and then the, the, the supply chain arrangements that we put in place. And this is where all the local content requirements, all these matters take, take into place. So um, we ourselves, we are licensing our technology and we are providing bespoke engineering services to these um, engineering developers. Of course, we, as part of the vision we have, we see several other opportunities, other verticals where uh, we, are, we are doing business or we plan to do business. That's part of the, the vision that we have as a group. Now, um, you need to pay, also consider the EPCI companies, all the, uh, all the engineering, procurement, construction, installation companies. These are the companies that uh, are key in order to, for example, um, having manufactured uh, a, steel, uh, a steel floater, and this can be done. This can be done anywhere, really. On our end, this is an example. Uh, we we have an agreement with a manufacturing yard in the Middle East. Uh, we can build uh, Lego blocks, almost as if you see Lego blocks, and we can send uh, to the, for instance, for to Scotland. It takes us uh, 21 days to send these Lego blocks to Scotland. Uh, we can do a local assembly. Uh, we can place the wind turbine uh, on shore on the floating foundation and simply tow the platform to the site uh, where the wind farm is going to take place. So um, there, are, there are several actors. You have energy developers. You see some major uh, from oil and gas uh, that are uh, as well now jumping, I would say, astute major from oil and gas jumping into this industry. You have these uh, installation, construction, procurement, uh, installation, um, engineering companies, technology providers such as us that are providing key, key innovations. I alluded to the manufacturers before. And I'm, I'm, and I'm missing uh, other, other companies providing the moorings, for instance, the wire ropes. Uh, we have a great partnership with, with uh, Brydon Beckard, the wire rope group, uh, in order to provide that, for example. Um, you have companies providing all the monitoring for some of the parts. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's such a great opportunity uh, for many companies to, to get into this industry, as, as you can see. So how did you, uh, excuse me, how did you convince them at first, like from your prototype to now like working, uh, working with you and, and, and developing this new uh, future together? Like what was the initial, like if you have like any, you know, um, you know, yeah. like, example of like maybe like experience, like uh, did you face any roadblock at first? Because I guess it's, uh, uh, can be also like a, maybe a bit more conservative industry uh, on that sense. No, look, of course, the, the, the vision, the leadership, that's important, but you get to a point where the, the, the product is very important. And that's the reality. The reality is we have, we have a game-changing product that we are developing. Um, to, to me, as, as a founder and CEO, it's, it's frustrating some, sometimes because I would like to show way more uh, about my technology. And until now, it, it simply was not the point. It, it, there was no point. For me, on going to a major industry event, 
and, and showing the say the disruptive elements of this technology. It was not the timing. You will start seeing uh, from next year on that uh, we start to show now more and more. We start to disclose disclose more and more aspects about our technology. But the reality is, um, once you start developing that initial relationship, um, and these these players, these ONMs, developers, EPCIs, or, or key partners at supply chain level, as well as investors. Once they get to know more about the technology, the principle behind how simple and brilliant it is, then there is, I mean, they, they, they fall in love basically with that, Guillaume. So it's very, at the end, behind all that is, is uh, a product with uh, big disruptive uh, potential. That's what, that's what they're saying, and that's very, very important. Can you tell us a bit more about like the, the, the current expected economics in a way? I mean, what's the business model you mentioned, like licensing model uh, that you guys have? What are the, the, the future projections? I mean, uh, if you can tell us a bit more about uh, all of that. Oh, sure. So as, as we said before, um, the, the market is, is uh, such a big opportunity, it's a huge market. And the floating foundation, the, the piece and the moorings, the piece we are accounting, has a huge impact in the LCOE. The floating foundation and those moorings account for roughly, according to the MB, 33% of the impact on the LCOE. So having a, a lighter floating foundation, having a, a foundation that can be streamlined, that can be serially produced, that, that means significant savings for developers, means a significant impact for the LCOE. We are targeting to achieve um, a reduction of 30% capex. Uh, uh, of, of the total cost of the project, and we aim to license our technology um, uh, based on based on this uh, capex reduction. So business model based on licensing, and of course we have that capability as well uh, to to provide key key engineering services in order to couple in order to adjust to do bespoke a bespoke technology a bespoke solution depending on on the site. So our our basic business model in base is based on on those numbers. Mm. On, yeah. on, on that model. In, in, in terms of um, defensibility and, and competition, I mean, like, how defensible are, are you guys uh, in terms of like this, uh, you know, new design, and how, how can you protect yourselves from, you know, other um, less well-intended companies that would like to, you know, copy what uh, what you have been putting uh, out there? And uh, if you can. You know, tell us a bit more about like the, the existing competition or, or alternatives that is existing today that uh, uh, you guys could you know um, fight against or compete against uh, while uh, entering into uh, full steam into the market. Sure. So again, the, the the market opportunity is massive. There will not be just one solution to rule them all. Uh, I have the vision of nine, ten solutions having over eighty percent of the market share. Maybe less, maybe there will not be nine or 10, maybe there will be five or six or four or five. Maybe this gets more commoditized as we've seen with the, with the wind turbine market. That bottom line message is the say there is, there is uh, a place for many players, for several players. And some players may dominate a market and others completely different technologies may dominate a different market. For example, the technology is being adapted for Japan or for the for Japan with, with uh, what I alluded before, um, with all the all the fisheries and deep sea water, maybe very different from the solutions used to, for the west coast of the US, where you need to go between 900 meters and 1,300 meters um, in, in height from the surface level of the to the seabed. So maybe using a catenary line doesn't make that much sense in a place as such, where you need to go to one kilometer. 
Um, and the solution for uh, North Sea or for Mediterranean Sea or for Atlantic Ocean is different. So that's that's the first thing I would like to specify. The second thing is uh, there are some companies that have um, been pioneering this industry, and I'm, I'm 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 respectful and I admire them in a way because they've been opening the path for us. Um, and those were first generation of technologies that effectively can 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 float, can can be under survival conditions in very rough seas. And what we are doing now is introducing the next generation. It's introducing those sets of technologies that will be able to be serially produced, and that uh, from uh, say, we have a, a competitive edge based on the innovation of the technology in order to provide significant savings. And that's exactly what we are doing. The last uh, bit is, um, of course, you need you need patents, you need IP. This basically allow you to allows you to. Uh, commercialize effectively your technology. As I said before, we're kicking off 2023 with uh, almost uh, a dozen families being filled in, in 158 countries. We are moving forward very, very rapidly uh, from this point of view. We're very strong from our Andean innovation point of view. The inventor is, is with us and uh, he's, uh, we, we, all we do, as, same as myself, we eat, we sleep and we do gazelle. So we are very, very fast, very quick on that. Uh, second point of view, second point is the supply chain, uh, the supply chain relationships that you build, you know, being able to access to specific products that you are the only company that can tender uh, in, uh, in using that specific product, that's very key for us. Um, last but not least is the pace of innovation. The, the, the most important thing is, the, is your pace of innovation. And in that sense, as I said before, uh, well, we've been developing this, this is the result of over 12 years of R&D. So uh, we are not, um, we're moving forward very rapidly uh, in, in that sense. If someone tries to emulate what we're doing, we have all these years of, I mean, it, it wouldn't be that, that, that worth um, to, to try to do that. Probably it's better to try to do business with us rather than to try to, to, to emulate that. So what's next uh, for, for Gazelle and uh, what's your, uh, wh wh what are your next milestones for the next uh, couple of years now? Our next big milestone, Guillaume, is to do a large scale demonstrator. And we, we have several uh, proposals in order to deploy this this demonstrator. So um, uh, we aim to um, we aim to deploy that by 2024. We expect this will have uh, major major global repercussion. There are now um, there, are, there are several uh, strategic uh, companies looking at, at those outcomes. So that's we're all very excited. And as I, as I said before, we are now at that tipping point where we are. Uh, Focusing now on delivery, on delivery of that project, and at the same time working on on delivering a commercial product, and that's further down the line. For that, we are targeting from 2025, 2026 on. Uh, those are uh, two of the key um, milestones. We have several investment opportunities open as well. Uh, we are now completing a, a, an equity investment transaction uh, led by institutional capital. And uh, this is something that, uh, as, as of today, for the next four weeks, we will keep receiving commitments. So that's something that we can we can, we can get our discussions to our next level as well. If any if any investors are are, are keen or interested in exploring the opportunity. So, what's your uh, personal on the personal opinion on the, on the climate uh, crisis, John? I mean, as I always ask to uh, everyone on the on the show, are we doomed? Uh, I mean, what would be your uh, your words to people who are like? feeling uh, you know demoralized by all the already visible consequences of uh, of climate change i'm an entrepreneur i'm that means that i'm i, I dream big i dream big Guillaume. i i, I dream big like to, to, to think big as well um we need speed 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 we need we need to get into that delivery 
we need electrification as i as i um, as i said at the start of our discussion today when you look at that counter in the innovation pavilion at cop 27 we are still at 12 percent of of renewable energy um, production no, glo globally we need to increase that very very rapidly that's not only for one 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 technology or one industry this is a major uh, puzzle there are many many pieces of this puzzle we need absolutely everything uh, i'm a big believer and of course when the sun shines you need solar when the wind blows you need wind uh, i'm a big believer of, of the in the floating offshore industry of course um, i strongly believe this will become one of the largest energy energy systems uh, in the next few decades uh, there is a large discussion about green hydrogen as well uh, in order to get to that point where we actually um, convert uh, the excess of reliable energy to green hydrogen well of course we first need the excess of reliable energy so we need to increase significantly the output of wind and solar and other sources of reliable energy and we need to store that too we need we need storage um, to for these for these renewables and then um, we can we can speak about converting uh, to to green hydrogen but um, my message here is we need we need uh, that sense of urgency in order to solve the challenges i alluded before from a policy point of view uh, from a supply chain and port infrastructure point of view and of course for for the innovation component we need we need the uh, key technologies um, well, that, that opens a whole discussion as well about uh, fundraising and how you kick off a uh, project as such, how you how, how you can fund all these projects which are quite capex intensive. But, uh, but I will not I will not get into that unless you unless you wish. And that's that's a whole discussion, a whole whole new discussion, of course. So, but then I, I believe that uh, you feel that uh, we can we can go through these uh, climate uh, change challenges that uh, the whole world is facing, and that uh, we should not be desperate, but we should uh, all be uh, active and, uh, and and spend uh, you know time and and and, and knowledge and, and financial resources uh, towards that uh, that movement. Correct. So I'm a big believer in in focus. So my end, I'm I'm on a mission. My mission is is this one. I I, I must introduce this technology into the market. This can be a key enabler. This will allow to tap into the power of floating offshore wind globally. Um, I'm sure there are there are other entrepreneurs, other executives, other other, other professionals uh, solving other problems. So uh, this is a big puzzle with many many pieces, and uh, I'm I'm expecting other people to to be obsessed on solving the problems for the other pieces. And so I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with solving this one, of course. How can uh, our listeners, uh, investors, founders, experts around the world who are listening to the show today uh, can help you, John? Well, I, we welcome them to follow us uh, on, on LinkedIn, to get into getselwinpower.com and learn more about what we're doing, all the, all, all the updates, uh, all, all the different other news that I haven't shared with with all of them today um, depending on, on if, they, if they are uh, they are a potential supply chain partner or, or potential developer or an investor or simply they want to they want to be an ambassador they want to, to, to be closer and be part of this of this um, to me again very important mission very important purpose feel free to reach out uh, we need we, we need to collaborate globally no we need there are really I'm sure there are brilliant minds listening uh, to this now all over the world 
and I'm sure I'm sure their talents, their skills, their thoughts can be can be very beneficial. Any question that I did not ask you that I should have for this uh, first part of the show? No, I believe this was very very comprehensive. Again, uh, uh, all listeners feel free to to connect with us on LinkedIn, to reach out to our website, and I'm I'm, I'm sure whether it's 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 funding or it's doing business or it's collaborating and becoming part of our community, uh, we welcome them very much. And I I thank you uh, very much for their time uh, for listening to this discussion and to yourself too for having me, Guillaume. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, John, for your time, your incredible insights uh, and all the hard work that you do to uh, bring this uh, innovative solution to, uh, to the world and to life. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the show uh, with us today. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate tech ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch, and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.